This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. I'm Stephen Ellis. Joining me as always is Ryan Kennedy. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. The OHL Cup, we just went and saw that. We did. And uh, that's one of our favorite events. It's something where it's, if you don't understand it, because it's hard to explain to people outside of Ontario what mm-hmm. it is. It's like a showcase tournament where it's the top Ontario teams for the most part. You bring an American team and you, you kind of try to show off the best prospects trying to make the OHL. But it's so much fun because this is where we see so many future stars. Mm-hmm. And there's been Connor McDavid, uh, Sagan's been in this tournament. The, the list of quality players, Shane Wright, yeah. uh, in the last, uh, the last tournament that happened in 2018, five of the top six players in the scoring were drafted to the NHL. And the next is Shane Wright, who was first yeah. o- who's going to be first overall and was the top scorer in that. And there's also Adam Fantilli to look forward to, too, for next year. So when you're looking at how good this tournament, and then you see what Michael Misa did, and Michael Misa goes out there and gets 20 points for the Mississauga Senators. They beat the Toronto Junior Canadiens in the final. And Misa, for reference, is a 2007-born player playing in a 2006 tournament, which means, of course, he was looking for exceptional status. Um, and it sounds like that could still be a potential that he might get it. But going out there and breaking Connor McDavid's single tournament point record, unbelievable. It certainly was. And, you know, this was a big tournament for underagers because, you know, his, his teammate William Moore, mm-hmm. also an underager, and then Ryan Rubrek from the London Junior Knights had a pretty good tournament in my estimation. Uh, he's also a, a 2007. But, I mean, you watch Misa, and in particular in that final, I mean, some of the moves he was making, some of the things he was pulling off, you know, the passes, you know, this is a kid that can both dish and score. You love to see both. And, you know, some powerhouse performances. I, I would say, you know, with the Toronto Junior Canadians, they were missing one of their best defensemen mm-hmm. in Henry Muse, who's kind of a Jamie Drysdale kind of defender. And then their other best player, Porter <laughs> Martone, got uh, ejected for one of the most bizarre plays I've ever seen where he was trying to throw a stick from the bench <laughs> to a teammate and accidentally <laughs> tripped one of the Mississauga players who was on a rush, so he got kicked out of the game. Very unfortunate circumstances. But like, like the, you wouldn't, like, as a player, especially a young player, you probably don't even think that that's anything, that, like, that's wrong. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he was like, oh, our defender lost his stick, let me toss him one, but it just went completely sideways on him. And, uh, again, it's like one of those things, you couldn't even do it if you tried. Um, but, yeah, so that was unfortunate. So they were a bit shorthanded. But, you know, from the outset, I thought the Senators were the more aggressive team. Uh, you know, they were the faster team on the night, and they were making plays. And even in their own zone, they were sort of keeping the junior Canadians to the perimeter as much as possible. So full marks to Mississauga. Malcolm Spence got them off to a great start. He had points on their first two goals, and I thought he was really strong all game long. So, yeah, all these names that we're going to be hearing at the end of April when the OHL draft comes up, uh, you know, Michael Hage was a big one for the Junior Canadians. Um, just a fun game overall. And, and as you mentioned, you know, looking back at those OHL Cup teams from the past, Shane Wright, Brant Clark, Brendan Othman, Roman Schmidt were all on the Dunmills Flyers. And that, that's just the surface of who was on That was just the top end. Yeah, exactly. They went deep. And, you know, I remember back in the day, the Toronto Marlboros were Connor McDavid, Sam Bennett, Josh Hosang, Roland McEwen, 
Um, Dylan Strom was an underager on that mm -hmm. team, so he played a bit in the OHL Cup and then played, obviously, a starring role the, the year after that. But the concentration of talent on some of these teams is hilarious. You know, and we were talking about how it's kind of funny when you get these teams that are just absolute powerhouses. And it's like the Mississauga Senators are not always a top team, but then they were just absolutely dominant this year. And next year, the team is not as good, where if William Moore doesn't uh, go to the the Senators next year or doesn't get exceptional status, uh, rumors are he goes to the Marlies or he can go to a different team. And mm -hmm. then that changes kind of everything. So uh, it's kind of fun how that always works. Um, but I, I love this tournament. I was there every day about the semifinals and it was just like the, it, it, it means something because these players have played together in a lot of cases since they're five, six years old mm -hmm. at different levels, different sports in some cases. And that's the, that's it, that's over. Yeah. So you either go out winning and you, everything you've worked for is worth it, or you go out and you lose in the final, and it's like, that stings. Yeah. And for a lot of players, that's the highest level to get to in terms of out of being in a competitive level. So um, it's a great tournament, and there's a lot of other things. Kind of, there's, I believe there's a WHL Cup, too. There's other showcase events, obviously, depending on level. There was the U.S. National Championships that just happened, mm -hmm. uh, same age group, uh, and obviously a different age group. you got the women's side, too. And um, it's it's always fun to watch these guys. It's the, it's the next group of talent. Yeah, we're talking 2025, 2024, 2026 drafts here, yeah. but uh, it's still really cool to see. These kids are talented. It certainly is. Scouts are there for a reason, especially Erie Otter scouts. Seems like every time I went, there's like 40 of them. Um, all right, let's talk about the NHL, though, because that's what you guys are probably here for. Uh, so uh, this is a stat that I didn't actually realize, but it was kind of cool that uh, the NHL put out that McDavid and Dreisaitl are just the fifth set of teammates to be the first players to hit 100 points in a season. And I, I haven't checked who had other ones. Got to assume Edmonton Oilers, <laughs> probably at some point there. Um, so I guess with that being said, and this is more of a fun one, not necessarily who are the best dynamic duos, but who are your favorite duo players in NHL history? Okay, well, two immediately leap to mind. Uh, the first being Henrik and Daniel Sedin with the Vancouver Canucks. Obviously, they had that twin power. Uh, where they just knew where each other were going to be at all times. And the things they were able to do in the offensive zone because of that was just spectacular to mm -hmm. watch. And the other one that comes to mind for me is uh, Hall and Oates. Or, or sorry, Hall and Oates. Uh, <laughs> Brett Hull and Adam Oates, they were, you know, that terrific tandem with the St. Louis Blues. And just so perfect because Adam Oates is the consummate playmaker Brett Hull, the ultimate sniper. So they worked so well together. And it was kind of funny that you had Hull and Oates, you know, a couple of years past the prime of Hull and Oates, the uh, rock soul, I don't know what, what they call the, the, the Yacht rock, maybe? Just not that exciting in 2022 standards type music. No, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, fun back in the day and in a retro way, people still like Hull and Oates. For me, I... See, I, I love goaltenders, but I, it's hard to come up a goalie duo. Like, obviously, Flurry and Leonard were pretty fun for that short period of time. And there was the drama between, like, on stuff on Twitter. But Richter the, and Van Beesbrook back yeah, in yeah, the day. Yeah, those were definitely good ones. Um, for me, though, for defense, I'm going to go with uh, Sheldon Surrey and Andre Markov. Those guys made me, specifically Surrey, made me want to learn how to take slap shots. Oh, and as a player, that was my best, the best thing I was good at, where uh, maybe not the greatest skater out there, and I couldn't deke, but I could want a slap shot up and could do really well on that. I won a, sh a slap, shot slap shot competition, actually, on the Rideau Canal uh, during Winterlude one year. Interesting. Uh, and uh, I was one of the younger guys in my age group. So it was just, I just had all the power. And uh, so I liked watching those guys, but they were good in the power play, and you 
Again, Surrey was really good in, in Montreal for a little bit before he went to Edmonton. And it's a fun fact. Uh, so my uh, my great aunt, she's uh, she was one of the very first Edmonton Oilers season ticket holders. And part of what she did one year was uh, had Surrey call me. Um, and because I had a poster of Surrey in my room, and and it was so much fun to watch him, and, and got to talk to him for like maybe a minute or two, but it was cool, and That's he, awesome. he, he was cool. And uh, but I also like to um, Caberley and, and uh, McCabe in Toronto were also a fun pair. Where we used to do in like in, in elementary school, if we played like foot hockey, which is hockey just without sticks. Uh, or we'd play four square, and my friend and I, we would always try to be like McCabe and Caberley, where we just kept the they kept the ball, and we didn't want to pass to anybody, and we just kept doing that. Um, so uh, I'd say defensive def- defensive duo guys are maybe not the most exciting, but they literally are just duos on the ice. So True. it's pretty easy to come up with those ones. Uh, and more of a, a random one, but I really liked when um, Alex Ald and Craig Anderson were on the same team because they were both bald. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and also uh, um, Jose Theodore and Matthew Guerin because they were both right-handed goalies. Interesting. So you don't get many duos like that. So I didn't have a serious answer for that one. Mostly for stupid reasons why I like these guys. But I would also point out how hilarious is it that as Canadians we had a game called foot hockey that was essentially soccer, but we we're like, no, no, it's not ball. soccer. Yeah, you play with a tennis ball. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, no, no, it's foot hockey. It's not soccer. We, so we used to have this really competitive thing. Like I didn't play high level hockey, but it was like grade eights versus grade sevens. But the grade sevens had like rep kids, and the grade eights had house league kids. E. And the goalies were, they would just take their coats and flip them up, up like backwards and use that as like a blocker and a glove type thing. Nice. Which I bet you the parents probably didn't like when probably you're not. wrecking a coat to have a tennis ball thrown at it. Yeah. Um, but we, we used to have these great games and it got really dramatic. But at one point we actually had almost the entire schoolyard because we just kept playing every day. Come and watch our championship game. We had the te- a couple teachers officiated and we won the, the grade eights, which was, we were the underdogs. But there you go. we were the older kids. Kind of like when you look at uh, the these lower levels of hockey, minor hockey, where age really matters. Yeah. And they get to the OHL and it, it, you could see a 16 year old actually play well. But you, it's kind of just weird how age kind of works in hockey. but. Uh, yeah, so there's that. But yeah, no, I didn't never really thought about how that's basically just soccer. But yeah. Much smaller ball, and we lost the ball a lot. Um, also, I don't know how we aimed it so well either. <laughs> it's, not big, it's not a big surface. It's just so yeah. small. You, you really got to hit it right. Yeah. But, uh, all right, so the Trevor Zegers goal, uh, which I think was my favorite lacrosse-style goal I've ever seen because he had to decode his own player to do <laughs> right. it. That's cool. Um, and was, that was Sunny Milano, right? It was. Yeah, so... Yeah, <laughs> maybe that was planned. <laughs> no, Some of the best defense Sonny Milano's ever played. That's why we don't talk about Milano too much <laughs> because of that reason. Um, so Zegers' goal gets a lot of attention. Obviously, you get some people who say like, "This is not good for the game of hockey." Blah blah, bogus. Uh, but then there's the Jay Beagle hit mm-hmm. afterwards. That's been a, a popular topic, and people may be recalling what the Ducks were doing there, which was it was like five nothing at the point when Beagle threw the head and they were it was like they were they were kinda getting fancy in some of their plays mm-hmm. and being a bit cheeky, but it, it's hockey, you're supposed to have fun. What's yeah. with this like, oh you you gotta stop celebrating? The 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 Mississauga centers went crazy for their sixth goal yesterday in like a, in what was a six two game. Yeah. But it's just fun to see the reaction of people who are happy with their goals. You should be happy you scored a goal. Mm-hmm. Um, so some people didn't like that they were doing that. Others say just kind of we got to embrace the skill. That's kind of my leaning on there. But what what are your thoughts on that entire situation there between the, the goal and then the, the hit? Yeah, I have no problem with the goal. And, you know, it's interesting because it's not like the Anaheim Ducks are like the Florida Panthers this year. Like the Anaheim Ducks have been struggling 
quite a lot, you know, particularly in the second half. So it's not like they were like beating up on a Coyotes team that was, you know, like out of their league. Um, I think the lacrosse goal has really become a tactic in the NHL. And, you know, it's kind of the evolution of the game where for years scoring was becoming more difficult uh, because goalies are so good, defensemen are so good and, and so structured. You know, forwards play a lot more defense now than they, had, than they did back in the day. So being able to, to create, I think, is really important. And what we're going to see is, in my opinion, is teams are going to have to adjust where if you weren't already going hard on the man behind the net, you're going to do it now because you don't want to give somebody time and space in Gretzky's office, as we used to say, because they might pull, if it's a young guy, they might pull off the lacrosse move. I've been talking to people about this, uh, mostly players and uh, a couple of coaches lately, and it was kind of funny, Logan Couture from the Sharks uh, was being a bit uh, self-deprecating. He was like, I don't have to worry about it because I can't pull off the move, but he sees the younger guys do it and he thinks it's great for the game. Um, I think it's just going to be part of the game. You're not going to obviously see it every week necessarily, but I think you're going to see it on a more consistent basis as more young players come up because all these kids have grown up with those skills. They've grown up, you know, watching videos on YouTube or wherever, and they're picking that up. They're doing it after practice. They're doing it on their own time. So they know how to do it. They can do it pretty easily. And we've seen it with Zegris um, and that generation already coming up. As for Beagle's reaction, I mean, what I would say is if Jay Beagle is in the NHL next year, because he is a UFA, if he's in the NHL next gonna say year, <laughs> he's going to have to play the Anaheim Ducks. Oh, I thought you were going to say Anaheim should sign him. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Protect him. No, no, no. He's going to have to play the Anaheim Ducks. The Anaheim Ducks will most likely have an enforcer. Keep in mind, they traded Delorier to Minnesota, and they traded Josh Manson, who's not an enforcer, but he's pretty big. Uh, you know, neither of those guys were on the Ducks when this happened. They had already been long gone at the deadline. But the Ducks are going to bulk up at some point. Jay Beagle's going to have to face them. And he's going to have to fight. So that's on Jay Beagle. It, there's there's going to be that moment where he's going to have to stand up for what he did to Troy Terry. And it's probably going to be the next time he plays the Ducks. Now, I know a lot of people don't like the, the frontier justice of the NHL, but this is how a lot of things get solved, you know, because the rule book doesn't necessarily get called strictly uh, in hockey, whether it's on the ice or when it comes to the Department of Player Safety. You know, we, we're, we're never really sure uh, how much punishment is going to get meted out, if any at all. The players... They still tend to resolve things this way. There's, there's a code to it, and Jay Beagle's going to have to answer that code. I'm, I, the one thing I am worried about the goal, and I love seeing it, obviously, is just when teams start expecting it more, if it becomes more of a regular thing, how, mm. are, how are people going to defend against it? Because mm. um, like, people say the risk of, like, what if the, a goalie gets a stick in the face or a defenseman mm. gets a stick in the face? Well, it's not high-sticking, so it's not against the rules to yeah. be making that move. Um, and, and we've talked before, the skill level of these players coming up are way above what we've ever seen uh, because, partly because of YouTube, partly because skills development's a big thing. We've been to, we've been to like training sessions where there's yeah. a lot of focus on skills development. Um, 
And you got when you got a guy like Robbie Shrimp out there also teaching people how to do it. Robbie Shrimp is one of the best at it. So totally. when you got a guy like him teaching people, players are going to pick up on it and yeah. figure out how to do it. So it's really cool. Um, it, it's something where goalie, like like to a point, it almost felt like scoring became kind of stale, like just for the way of every goal was a wrist shot. Uh, slap shot stopping kind of a thing. There was deeks. So these creativity things, it makes it harder for the goalies to stop it because a goalie's going to stop a wrist shot nine times out of ten. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, you either just need just a lucky opportunity, a perfectly placed shot, which isn't even easy on the best players. For sure. Um, so you, you need good ways of being creative. So I'm, I'm happy seeing things like this. I would love to see something like we've, there's been level, uh, at junior levels where guys have done lacrosse goals on a breakaway. Mm. And without going behind the net, and right. just kind of pick the puck up like that, and that's kind of cool. And you see guys like Pavel Barber doing it, and guys, that, it's it's very possible that could be a more of a consistent thing. You got to be worried about the potential injuries, but wh- how are defensemen going to start if they notice something's going to happen? Because the thing about these plays, we know Zegers likes to get creative behind the net, but guys like that don't typically like it, it's a very quick play. Yes, it, it looks like he's about to make a pass, and then he just goes for it. Yeah. And we saw Mac and Chuck fail it actually last night. And that's very rare where you see a player actually not pull it off. Mm-hmm. It's almost 100% success rate from what we've seen. Um, so it, it is something where you got to see how the teams will defend against it at some point. Uh, are we going to see guys take runs at the player attempting it? Because then the one thing I, I, I talked to a player, a junior player who pulled it off, and they were saying, like, you, that there is the one worry that some guy will come and try to hit you as you're doing it because you've kind of. Put your whole balance on your stick, basically trying to pull the move. True. You're not like if if someone comes to hit you, you're not prepared for it, and mm-hmm. you're typically close to the boards. Yeah. So that's more of a, a devil's advocate looking way of looking at. But I, I want to see more goals like this. Yeah, and what I will say is, you know, I was talking to Ty Nelson about this from the North Bay Battalion. He's up for the NHL draft this. And he's year. not a big guy. Not a big guy, but you know, he was he even pretty creative guy on his own. Uh, but he was saying it, it really is about getting to that post as, as soon as you can to try to defend it. And you do have to be careful because, you know, you don't want to take a penalty at the same time. Like, you don't want to get your stick up to try to, you know, knock the lacrosse guy's uh, stick because you could get called for high sticking or slashing. So you have to be really careful with how you defend it. But I think the, uh, the idea is that you're going to see more defensemen try to take away that time and space behind the net. The other thing I will say that's really intriguing about it is that we've already seen a couple of fake lacrosse goals. Uh, Quinnipiac did it in the NCAA, Mm -hmm. and the Florida Panthers did it, where you pretend you're going to do the lacrosse goal, but then in one, at least in one case is uh, with Quinnipiac, it ended up with a pass to another guy who went behind the net, and he did a wraparound on the other side. So it's almost like, you know, those shootout moves where like the postage stamp goal, you know, the Forsberg, where the goalie has to commit one way or another, and then you go around with your stick. So it's, it's really kind of a catch-22 for the goaltender and the defender. And, and to me, that's what makes it really fun now, is that you have to be prepared for numerous scenarios. Mm-hmm. So there is an argument to be made where a player slashing the stick might be the best way of going forward. It could be. Because if it's knowing the success rate of these goals, it's like if that's your way of stopping it, then fine. But it's going to be a point where I think we're going to see teams have to adjust how they play defense, where uh, whether it be on a power player, whether it be on these, whatever these situations are where you've got a chance for lacrosse school, uh, you have to maybe put someone to chase around the net a bit more. Yeah. Because they're typically letting the guy stand behind the net, which can be dangerous on its own. But if you give the guy all that opportunity, Zegers has pulled this playoff before because teams have allowed him. Yeah. Um, 
So and he's pulled it off against some pretty wimpy team. I believe his two goals were like Montreal and, and Arizona. And then he scored a pretty nice goal against Buffalo. So he, he wasn't doing it on the greatest teams. But he's still doing it on NHL goaltenders. He's For still sure. doing it on NHL teams. It's still a hard thing to pull off. Where it's one thing if a junior player could pull it off. But like these are some of the best players in the world. And if they're able to do it, like that's, that's tough. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how teams adjust to defensively. If you don't like it, figure out how to play defense against it. Yep. Don't like, let's not stop the players like this. And uh, so... It, it's a topic that will probably continue for a little bit and ten, until Zegers pulls it off, maybe like next week when he exactly. seems to be doing it quite a bit. Uh, speaking of another hot topic, Keith Yandel. So his Ironman streak ends shortly before he hits his thousandth game. And a lot of people right off the bat were saying, oh man, like seriously, why are you doing this? The, Pan- or the, the, the Flyers are not in a playoff spot. Like what do they have to lose? Just give him a chance to kind of run his career out this way. To me, it's something where you look at it like it's the – you still got to, like, his performance hasn't been good this year. He hasn't been playing well, and Flyers fans have kind of asking for him. Like, it's, it's funny, like, the player, the fans base that was, like, least upset were the Flyers fans. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's because they're looking at this and say, like, you know what, like, yeah, we don't have many games left in the season. We're not going to the playoffs, but we, we still want to win games. There's still uh, players on here that are, are looking for opportunities for next year or, or, or are still trying to show what they could do. So you've got to put your best lineup possible. you got young guys who are like looking for that next chance to, to just show that they deserve a spot full-time next mm-hmm. year. Um, so to me, I thought it was justified pulling him, but there was the argument you could have pulled him two months ago, but then I think then maybe he wouldn't have played many more games. And then we were talking about a guy just being healthy scratch rest of the season. Yeah. But it really depends on how you view the whole situation. But I guess, what are your thoughts on, on what happened there? Well... I think they could have got him to a thousand games. It wasn't that far away. It, was it wasn't games. that far away. Like I think they still have thirteen games left. So you know, if you want to scratch him at the end of the year, then it would have been pretty cool uh, to get him to an even one thousand. And you know, looking at the lineup that they had that night, there was a couple of guys that only played kind of ten, twelve minutes, and. My feeling is you probably could have played him. Like maybe you go 7D that night uh, and and take away a forward. Um, I'm I'm fine with them playing young guys. You know, playing Ronnie Adderd. You know, playing uh, Cam York more. Like that's that's the future in Philly. But I think you probably could have found a way where you could have subtracted a fourth line forward and played 7D and just let Yandel get to 1,000 because, yeah, okay, I, I get it. You're trying to win. Fair enough. But, but at the same they, time, they probably shouldn't be. <laughs> they probably shouldn't be trying to win. But, I mean, that's just the nature of professionals. They always want to do the best that they can. But I don't think Keith Yandel would have been that much of a drag versus the roster that they had. And it's something that, like, literally, this is something that never happens mm-hmm. in the NHL. Getting to 1,000 straight games never been done it would have been pretty cool so if they if they could have found a way to do that i think that would have been nice he's played 67 games this year so it's like they've kept him in long enough yeah you could have played him 11 more games it wouldn't have been a huge deal um but the other thing is okay does it make sense to make him the seventh defenseman and barely play him like mm-hmm. does that really like like yeah that means he counts. He yeah. played those games. That's what the orioles did with cal ripken jr during his streak there were games that he only played like the first couple of innings Okay, fair. But, yeah, it's, it's like, I don't know, hockey's a little faster-paced sport. For sure. You have to be doing stuff all the time. Yeah, <laughs> but what I'm saying is, like, you know, you can sort of, like, cheat it at the end. Yeah, and it's like, no, no, no. So to use a racing example, Richard, like, it's a little different because owners are 
you, you can own your own team. Richard Petty in NASCAR, best one of the best drivers in NASCAR history. Won 200 races, no driver's ever done it. But I think he ran like his last 10 years without even being close to competitive and missed a ton of races. And it was just kind of like keeping him around just to like break like a race num like a number of race records and stuff right. like that. He didn't really do much at the end of his career. But for Yandel, it's like it's a, it's a tough sport. And he handled it really well. Yep. He um, did. In the, in the long term. Everyone will kind of forget. Mm. It's like, oh, well, he still set a record. It would have been cool for him to do a thousand because that like, will that ever happen again? It's a nice round number. It, it, it's something now where we're gonna. I think in the long term, we're gonna look at teams where in the playoffs are gonna be doing more load management. Yeah. And, and we've talked about them before, and it's been something that we've seen already where teams have said, okay, we're in the playoffs. We're not gaining anything at the end of the season. Let's sit our best guys, and make sure they're ready for the playoffs. And that could be something where, um, let's say. Shane Wright comes to the NHL and doesn't miss a, a single game. Well, like by the end of like his seventh or eighth year, like they might just pull him to just say, okay, like we don't need you to save you for the playoffs. We don't need you for these three mm -hmm. games against the 29th, 30th, and 42nd place team when they add more teams in the future. Um, so yeah, it, it's the Phil Kessel. That's another one that's coming up soon. Kessel's performance has fallen a bit. Obviously, not to the point where it's going to impact him this year. He's still playing well enough in Arizona. Yeah, and it's Arizona, um, but. I would like to, uh, like for Yandel, I, I hope, I'd love to see him go on his own turns. If it was something where he get hits a thousand and then just retires, you know, you, you made it to that far. Yeah. And uh, so hats off to him for, regardless, an incredible career. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about him still being a top pairing defenseman. Very true. Like, yeah. it, it, it wasn't long ago, and obviously things kind of fell apart, but you expect that out of a guy who's much older and has played so many games. He hasn't had these chances of rest. So yeah. uh, regardless, very cool. I, I, I'm still on the board of, yeah, yeah your players still want to win, right? And, but they also wanted to see you ever get it. So it's too bad. So close. It's like it's so one thing if there's 50 games. But yeah. Like it's like, really? Okay, whatever. Um, so we actually had a few people ask about this, but I wanted to make this a specific topic. Josh Norris, mm. um, he hit 30 goals this season. And it almost feels quiet. It's like you almost had to kind of watch every auto center game to know that. because uh, Just because the sense of not being like a team that's in, in the running. Yeah. But Josh Norris... He's just such a good player. We know how good he is. He's been good in the AHL. He's been good at the kind of college. He's someone where he's maybe never received as much hype as he probably deserves for mm -hmm. as good of a player he is. So um, this is only a second full year in the NHL. He should hit about 50 points this year. He's on pace for it. He's an also a restricted free agent. So at 22, looking also at what Ottawa's future is looking like, where there's some bright pieces coming up, um, what do you think his next contract could look like? Because like, what type of role do you see him really being, I guess? Yeah, and it is really difficult because he's heading into RFA, as you mentioned, with only two years of service. So you say, okay, well, do we know what he is yet? And, you know, when I started thinking about this question, I was thinking about, like, Nathan McKinnon's first contract uh, out of his rookie deal where... You know, he had the fantastic rookie season and then kind of took a step back as a sophomore. So at the time, Colorado could say, well, we're not sure how much upside you have, or at least we don't know exactly what you're going to be right now. And I'm sure internally they did, but for the sake of contract, you know, they said, okay, well, we're not sure. Um, so now they have McKinnon on an excellent bargain of a contract. Mm -hmm. And then... I look at what Ottawa's roster and contract situation is right now, where your highest paid players are Brady Kachuk mm. and Thomas Chabot. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to look at Josh Norris and say maybe the best course of action 
is to go five or six years at six to 6.5 million. So you're projecting a little bit if you're the senators and saying, okay, you're definitely a top six center. Are you a true number one or are you maybe the next tier down? We're not sure. So if it's six or 6.5 million, then you know, you're basically making what McKinnon's making right now. Um, is Josh Norris as good as Nathan McKinnon? No, no. <laughs> but different, very, yeah, very different situations. Colorado looked like geniuses at the moment. Exactly, and, and you know, that was signed a couple of yeah, years yeah. ago. Um, that wasn't a real comparison. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Really real. But I think it's a fair money for Norris, and then you know, for him, if it's only kind of like five years, um, I mean, I'd have to double check, but I think he would still be, like he wouldn't go straight to, U- to unrestricted free agency, so he could have another big contract with the Sens, or he could go short-term then and then go to uh, the open market. You know, who knows what's gonna happen in the future, but I think that is a, that's a good contract with room for growth on both sides. Um, you just, it's kind of funny. It's like, I wish I had one more year of Josh Norris before I could decide on this question. Uh, and that I think is sort of the vexing issue here is you're just not quite sure right now how good he's going to be. He's obviously very good. It's hard to score 30 goals in the NHL. Um, but there is that just sort of question of what is he? So, yeah, like, the, again, he only played the two years in the NHL, but then he also had 61 points in 56 games in the COVID short in 2019-20 uh, AHL season. And while that is the AHL, he had 31 goals there. And it's hard for a 20-year-old uh, after two years in the NCAA to come in and just make that much of an impact. Yeah. Like, he was that good of a player that year. Yep. Uh, in a year that actually had some pretty solid talent overall in the NHL. So, uh, to me, you've got to look at that as maybe does that adjust to a 40-ish, 35-point rookie season? Well, then that's not too bad. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a little bit different, but then he went out there and gets 35 points in 56 games last year, and he's got 43 and 52 this year, and his goals uh, trump his assists by quite a bit. 30 goals, 13 assists. Love when that happens. Cy uh, Young winner. Yep, looking at some goalie stats here. Um, but... Um, so, so I, to me, I think, yeah, the five and six year thing at that price, because it is good that we do know that the salary cap is going to go up. And yeah. that, that was a given for so long, but then it wasn't. Yeah. COVID stopped that. And it's only going up one mil next year, but it could go three, four million next year. So the, the contract's not going to hurt them necessarily if they go spend a bit more money. Mm. And if you do get them at that, the, the, the term you said and the cost you said, like that's a good value. There's the argument in a lot of Suns fans saying, let's give it a two-year deal and see what happens. But then also, we've seen bridge deals not necessarily work out for guys like Matt Murray in Pittsburgh. Mm. We'll see like that. But regardless, I do think Pittsburgh and then obviously Ottawa. Um, but um, I do think that Josh Norris is a huge piece of this future, and that's mm. not a surprise. And, and when you got guys like Kachuk, you guys have got like Shabbat and Norris and, and Batherson, and you've got some good pieces for this team, uh, Shane Pinto coming up. Um, you you want to get this guy as long term, and a cost like that, I think it's worth the risk because yeah, he's a thirty goal scorer, but if he falls and becomes a twenty goal scorer, uh, 
there's a lot of elements of his game that makes him better. And it, it's almost something where centers fans are looking at. Like, oh, well, let's say he becomes a third-line center and whatever type thing. It's like, well, he'd be a pretty good third-line center. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's just so open kind of at this point of his career. I do wish, yeah, we got another year because two years is such a short sample size, but he's playing so well on a team that hasn't been competitive at any point during his tenure. Is, is he scoring some garbage points? Probably. There's probably some points that he's getting that are like, Okay, they're losing 5-1, he scores, makes a 5-2, whatever. That doesn't mean much, but he's still getting points. Yep. still putting the puck in the net. He seems to play well with kind of anyone he plays with. He's part of your future. I think you want him there long term. Yeah, and I, I think even at this point, you can safely say, like, at worst, he's a number two center. Yeah, so yeah. it's the, the centers are still in a spot where they're going to be draft well. So maybe they do find something that pushes them down. Realistically not, but mm-hmm. it's something where I you, know, you got a great prospect or a great young guy in your hands. You want to keep him there long term, and... That's kind of what they've been doing. They're giving those long-term contracts to some of the young core. Is he part of the young core? I say absolutely. Yeah. So there's that. Um, the next question is, who is this year's Ray Bork? A veteran guy that everyone could kind of cheer for in the playoffs. Who's your pick? And don't say my pick. Yeah. Hopefully I won't say your pick, but I don't know. Um, I'm going to go with Mark Giordano okay. uh, in Toronto. And it's funny because I know that if you don't cheer for the Leafs, then you probably cheer actively against the Leafs. But Mark Giordano, I mean, he's such a great story, you know, going undrafted both in the OHL and the NHL, becoming a Norris Trophy winner, being the captain in Calgary, being so integral to that franchise. And then, you know, he goes to Seattle and now he has a chance to to win a cup in Toronto and to be, you know, an important part of that blue line course. So I kind of feel like even though he plays for the Leafs and that tends to be a team that fans root against you can't root against Mark Giordano yeah so I uh, it's, it's a guy where in Calgary he was a fan favorite and even then like when he would go to other teams you would still hear just a little bit more cheers for him people seem to like him because of his story being so cool and yeah. uh, goes in there he's a big piece of Seattle's first season uh, yeah it's pretty easy to cheer against the Leafs if you're not from Toronto or not a Leafs fan, but it's something where if they if they did have a really good playoff run, I think people would kind of say like, "Do it for Giordano, that's cool." Do it for Giordano. Um, my pick is Joe Thornton because does anyone hate Joe Thornton? No, Barbers because he doesn't go there. Yes, so he doesn't bring the money, money. Yeah. But uh, it's surprised he didn't get like any cool like he, he like. Too bad the Geico got rid of their uh, caveman commercials because he would have been great. Yeah. Him and Brent Burns would have been the best combination. It was a total missed opportunity. Um, but uh, well, the, the, the Brent Burns uh, Kit Kat commercials are pretty good, the Kit Kat chunky ones. Um, but uh, for, for Thornton, like, people don't hate him. Like, he's a good guy. And it's like Florida, I know there's been a lot of people say, look, Florida doesn't need a team. Their attendance has been so bad. Well, now they're being good. Now their attendance is improving. And it's something like, if there's like, it almost feels like they would still feel like the underdog because they play in the same like division as the Tampa Bay Lightning, one of the yeah. two Stanley Cups. They're the smaller market there. Uh, even despite how good they're playing, they're still like some people just discount them because of they're the Florida Panthers. But uh, it'd be cool to see him go out there and win, and that would be the first Stanley Cup ever in Panthers history, which would be huge if another Florida team got it. That shows yeah. hey, there, there's some success here. But then Joe Thornton getting it. Uh, Again, I don't think anyone hates the guy. He, he's, uh, when we talk about some like dynamic duos, I guess one of my favorite all-time lines was him, Danny Heatley, and Patrick Marlowe on the San Jose Sharks in mm. the 2010 era. Like, that right. was really good. Danny Heatley also played really well with uh, Spets and, and Daniel Efferson. Those were, he yep. played on some of my favorite lines of all time to watch. But again, uh, Thornton's a loved figure in the NHL. He looks like he's having a blast. All the interviews he does, he's just so laid back. He's kind of like Craig Anderson, too. As you get to this point in your career, it's like, okay, well, if we win, we win. If we lose, we lose. 
I'm here to have a good time. I'm playing in the NHL. I'm near the end of my career. I'm still here. Like, this is yeah. cool. So uh, always cool to see a guy like that maybe succeed, but we'll see. Um, now you're going to the Frozen Four. Indeed. Uh, who to know? Who we're watching? Well, this is going to be a fantastic semifinal matchup. Um, you know, things really kind of worked out where the top teams in the field this year, they came to play. You know, we didn't see uh, very many upsets at all. And uh, so the first semifinal matchup, Michigan versus Denver, I expect a high octane game. Uh, you know, starting with Michigan, this has kind of been like the, you know, the team everybody has been watching this season because they have so many NHL prospects. So, I mean, literally, I'm just going to list like Owen Power, Luke Hughes, Maddie Beneers, Kent Johnson, Brendan Brisson, like Eric Portillo in net. He's a Buffalo Sabres pick. You know, they have so much talent on that roster and just so much fun to watch because they can do so much out there. They face a Denver squad that, you know, again, a very storied program like the Wolverines. You know, they're led by Bobby Brink, the Philadelphia Flyers pick, who is also a finalist for the Hobie Baker Award. Um, so you got Brink, you got Michael Benning on D, the Florida pick. You got Carter Savoy, the Edmonton Oilers pick. Um, you know, Cole Gutman, I think, is a player to watch. He's a Tampa pick. He's one of those guys Tampa select sort of late in the draft that you don't know much about at the time. And then once he gets to the end of his college career, he scores like an overtime goal. Um, and everyone's like, making, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, Tampa's got him. Of course they do. Um, and then you got Magnus Crona in net, uh, another Tampa mm-hmm. Bay pick, another, of course. <laughs> another big Swede. Uh, so I was kind of joking that, you know, who do I pick in this game? I picked the storied program with lots of NHL picks who also have a tall Swedish goaltender. Mm. So that's my way of <laughs> staying on the fence there. And then the other semifinal, you got an all-Minnesota matchup. You got Minnesota State versus the Minnesota Golden Gophers. So starting with Minnesota State, this has been a team that, you know, has really come together as a program in the past few years. Very defensively structured, great at keeping everybody to the outside. And then in net, they have Dryden McKay, who broke the NCAA record for shutouts in his career this season, passing Ryan Miller, uh, obviously the great NHL netminder who was with Michigan State. Um, Dryden McKay, not a big goaltender, so that's something to watch in the both semifinal and if they get to the final, because he's going to face some shooters. But he has such a great cast around him that they all work so well together. Um, Nathan Smith, the Winnipeg, actually, no, sorry, Nathan Smith, the Arizona Coyotes prospect because he was traded. Mm-hmm. Um, he'll be one to watch. He's been their leading scorer this season. Fantastic two-way center. Uh, the other player, Julian Napravnik, is a free agent. He is on a lot of NHL radars because his uh, scoring prowess has really taken off this year. So that's who to watch for on the Mavericks. And then the Golden Gophers, again, a team loaded with mm. NHL talent. Ironically, their top scorer and best player this year has been Ben Myers, who is undrafted, but he is the gem of the NCAA free agent class. He's the guy everybody's looking for because he's got the motor, he's got some great, good size, got great speed, played for the Olympic team uh, with Team USA. Uh, then you got Matthew Nyes, the Toronto Maple Leafs pick, power forward, has been amazing as a freshman. He was at the Olympics too. Uh, you got Brock Faber, another U.S. Olympian, L.A. Kings prospect, 
fantastic defenseman, um, you know, mobile, great stick, doesn't give you a ton of offense, but really good defensively. So he'll be key for the Gophers attack. And then again, you just have a bunch of guys up and down the lineup, whether it's Aaron Huglin or Blake McLaughlin or Ryan Johnson, Jackson Lacombe, the Gophers just come at you in waves. And I think that's going to be a spectacular game because it's going to come down to who gets to play the game the way they want. Mm -hmm. Can Minnesota State lock down the Gophers or can the Gophers pierce that veil of the Mavericks? So very intriguing matchup. Pierce the Veil is a terrible post-hardcore band in the 2000s. It's true, but it's a good name. Yeah, it's a very good name for a not-so-great band. So I guess if you had to put a prediction who's going to win this thing, because you you mentioned it, like, you look at Michigan, and that's a team where you just so much high-quality initial talent, but... Mm You know, it, it, that doesn't mean much if, if it's a lot of, like a bunch of young talent there, to be fair. But yeah. I guess, who's your number one picker? You know what? I kind of feel like Denver has the right combination of high-end talent, but also experience, uh, and they got a big goalie. So I, I honestly think that anybody can win out of the Final Four, but... If I, you know, like gun to my head, I would say Denver probably has the best odds, even though that Michigan team is just lights out offensively. I like to be the criminal who wants to put a gun to your head over an NCAA hockey prediction, but <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's now, now here's a question it, Would it be safe to say, in terms of if you had to predict 10 years down the line which team produced the best NHL quality players, would it be? Michigan? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I would say, yeah, 10 years from now, we're going to say, like, wow, that Michigan team had, like, 12 NHLers. <laughs> but, like we see in junior hockey, sometimes the older teams are the ones that better. and You don't need these star players. And certainly that's the case of the Frozen Four. We've seen that time and again, which is why you cannot discount Minnesota State. Yeah, so this should be a really fun tournament. I'm really looking forward to the the final four. All right, that's it for our topics. Let's go to the viewer questions. Uh, One from Pitched Fork Puck. Um, If Jack Hughes is, say, slightly hurt, not injured, but hurt, do you shut him down or let him play out the stretch? And I guess this is more of a question of, again, load management. The Devils aren't going to play the playoffs this year. Um, Is it something where you just kind of let him rest? You know what? I I think you kind of leave it up to him. Uh, because, you know, he did miss time earlier in the season, too. And this is a player that because of the pandemic, because of injuries, he hasn't played that many NHL games, even though he's been in the NHL for several seasons now. So I think you leave it up to him and say, how are you feeling? You know, do you think you, like, do you want to play right now? And I know that's kind of weird to ask the player because they're always going to say yes. You want to play the sport you're paid to play? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and hockey players are notorious for saying they're fine, even if, like, their arm had fallen off. Um, but I feel in this situation, like the more reps you can get right now, it's probably for the better. Um, and then, you know, you're going to have a long summer if you're Jack Hughes because the Devils are not making the playoffs. Next question comes from Raymond Summon. Sutton, and this is one actually I like. What's one rule change you'd make if you ran the NHL and everyone was forced to accept it and like it? Mm. My fallback is always get rid of the instigator rule because I do like fighting, even though I don't intellectually justify it in any way. But just for the sake of being different, I'm going to say you can uh, kick the puck into the net. Okay. Oh, I like that one. Yeah, because we've seen there's too many goals that, you know, like the whole, like, was there a distinct kicking motion? It's like, ah, that's so piddly. Like, just let it happen. I know there's the argument. It's like, oh, you don't want skates, you know, coming up. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the crease and, and whatnot. But. I think just to, to get rid of the gray area of that, it's like, hey, you know what? If you can make a skilled player with your feet, do it. My, my 
realistic answer would be uh, game misconduct for every head contact. Um, uh -huh. But my fun one would be uh, make it three on three permanently. <laughs> I don't think the uh, NHLPA would agree. NHLPA with you would not agree with it. You'd no. get guys who wouldn't play. But man, imagine how hectic that would be. Like every game would have like 50 and 60 shots at each end. It would be so much fun. And a lot of tired Ho players. Hockey is fun on three and three. And you look at some, there's been some leagues that have tried to do professional three and three, mm. but you don't get the quality players. You're getting guys like in the late 30s or guys yeah. you've never heard of. Like let's say Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Darnell Nurse going up against McKinnon, McCarr, Landeskog, and just see how much fun that would be. That'd be wild. That would be yeah. wicked. Uh, the goalies would also hate it, sure. uh, but uh, that'd be fun. Uh, but also, again, not realistic. Uh, the, the other argument, there's a lot of people say, like, get rid of um, offsides. And people say, oh, like, you'll just like cherry pickers. Like, no, because they're, they're not effective if they're standing in the, the one zone and the play's in the other zone. They're just standing there. That's true. For the potential of a breakaway, well, you really got to hope. Like, I don't know, to, to me, uh, there's also, you could say, get rid of icing. Um, but uh, I don't know. There's a lot of rules I would say I would change, but they're more just arbitrary for no real reason. Uh, if last question comes from Nick K. Uh, what does it mean to you today that someone scored 50 goals? Is it still a meaningful milestone? Before we answer, I say I, m one of my first seasons I remember watching hockey was 2005 06. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Chichu got 50 goals. Yep. A lot of guys got 50 goals. A lot of guys got a lot of points. Uh, to me, it's something where uh, obviously you got to take it and look at the differences between scoring now, scoring in the 80s, scoring in the 90s, scoring yeah. in the 2000s, uh, and say, yeah, I'd still say it's pretty impressive, especially when you a lot of these guys are not playing full seasons anymore uh, for one reason or another. And uh, But I, I say you know, 50 goals is still impressive, but it also just, again, it's, it's half of 100, but it still feels arbitrary in an 82-game se season. It's not, mm. it's not halfway through the season. It's not like yeah. a, a goal every other game. It's, it's more of it. It's like just a, a weird number when you take into account how many games there are. Yeah. I still think it's a very uh, huge achievement because it is so difficult to do. And, you know, goaltending is better today than it ever has been. You know, defensive structure is so much more advanced than it was even 20 years ago. And even though, you know, the forwards are coming up with incredible moves and, and, and having, you know, uh, amazing skills themselves, 50 goals is very difficult. So, yeah, to me, it's still a great accomplishment. And, you know, you're right, it's, it's an arbitrary number, but it's, it's a nice kind of round number. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what people also like about it. Um, so, yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's a good one. It's still something where very few players can do it. And the players that are doing it are star players. Totally. If we were getting, like second, third line guys getting close, it'd be one thing. But yeah. like, like if, if Jonathan Chichu was getting it every year, like the, the, or more guys like Jonathan Chichu where they score all these goals and then are just mm -hmm. kind of forgotten about, that, that'd be one thing. But it's like, it's still the elite elite getting it. Yeah. So to me, I still think it's special. Yeah, even if a lot of guys get it, it's still a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, so there, uh, that's it for questions. Next to the rapid fire. All right, I got a fun rapid fire today. Well, fun for me, because I already know the questions. Uh, the first question is, how close have you come to getting a Gatorade bath after a championship? <laughs> or have you ever had one? Uh, yes, it happened once in a, in a ball hockey game uh, after I got a shutout to send us to the finals. So it wasn't even a championship game. Uh, but it was, it was big for us because we had, uh, it, we, between injuries and March break, we were missing like not seven players. So wow. we actually only had one full line. Uh, and we beat the team that came first place in the standings, and I got a shot in that game. Nice. The closest I've ever come is when the Memorial Cup was in Halifax, uh, Rwanda Randa won, and I was on the ice interviewing the Huskies coach, 
And out of the corner of my eye, at the last second, I saw the players coming with the full Uh-oh. Gatorade top. <laughs> and I just, I jumped back about two feet and I just missed it. He, like, the coach got everything. Uh-huh. And maybe I got a drop or two on my shoe, but, like, that was, like, one of my, like, life flashing before my eyes. Like, oh, my God, I'm about to get a Gatorade I, I, bath here. I just missed it. I want to know if there's any, like, if there's stories of coaches getting like their phones completely damaged in these things. Great question. Which I had my phone damaged on the way here because a dog thought it was food. Uh, it is not food. Uh, but I also, my, my hand got a little wet yesterday from the OHL Cup Final when someone did it because yeah. there, there they were interviewing the coach on OHL's like YouTube, or for their YouTube channel and yeah. bam, just attacked midway. Water there. bottles everywhere, yep. Next question, Bugs Bunny or Mickey Mouse? And you can include, you know, the uh, all other characters in those universes. I I think part of the fact that Disney World is such a cool place, I gotta just go with Disney. I'm a, I'm a Goofy fan specifically. Interesting, right on. I go Bugs Bunny because he's clearly an anarchist. He's uh, cool, but he was never like he, his show was not as relevant for me when I was growing up. But granted, there wasn't like I never watched a Mickey Mouse show. I think it's just more because I just like Disney World. Right, so fair, fair. I grew up with both, but I always sort of gravitated to Bugs Bunny in the end. And I would still watch them today. Yeah, still some good stuff. For sure. Okay, next question. If you were granted an expansion junior hockey team, we'll just call it an OHL team for the sake of geography, what would be the, the name of, like, the nickname of the team, like the mascot? Oh, uh, well, my, <laughs> a real name or a stupid name? <laughs> I mean, you got to sell tickets. I love that when minor league baseball teams have such like outrageous names, like they do the rubber duckies or stuff like that. Uh, I always, whenever I make hockey teams in video games, I always go with the pickles. Interesting. Also, Ren gets off retiring after the season. Oh, big news. That is very big. So there you go. So he cannot beat up Jay Beagle next year. No. So no. I mean, he could, but it would be illegal. But I'm, I want to sell tickets with something so funny and outrageous where people are going to go just because they remember their name and it's not generic, like the Warriors or something. Fair, it's fair. like, it's something like, imagine people coming with like a hat with like a pickle or like a sure. full pickle costume. I think it would be great. Nice, nice. I would go with the Nightmares. Okay. And the uh, the mat like the actual mascot would be like a really like scary looking horse. Like, okay. Like a literal like nightmare. Yeah. I'll, I like that. That is good. Thank you. Although I brought this up years ago, and uh, Sanaya, who's now with the Athletic, pointed out that if your team was bad, the headlines write themselves. So. Oh, that is true. There, there was uh, the when we were coming up with the Seattle expansion team a couple of years in advance uh, for the website. I did one of mine. Um, it was like the the Sea Monkeys. Ah, Seattle Sea Monkeys. I like right that. on, right on. It's good. It's got good flow. Okay, music question: What's the best bass guitar sound or tone, however you want to take that, that you can think of uh, from a, a band or song? Uh, okay. Well, my favorite tone, and was maybe the darkest bass tone I've heard, was um, a song called "Gently" from. Um, Slipknot, and it's just the whole thing, just bass. Actually, no, I, I'd say the one they used on the song Iowa, which is 15 minutes long. Mm. Uh, so if you don't listen to 15 minute long songs, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. Mm. Uh, I also like, oh, there's, there's, I want to say there's a, I like the one, the bass tone on uh, Holiday by Green Day, where they do the little bass portion. Uh-huh. As, I like that. Um, I know there's, I was thinking about this. I, I also like, uh, we've talked about corn before, but I like the bass sound in corn. Mm-hmm. It's, it feels like to me like you don't need guitar. The bass kind of just does the work. Sure, sure, yeah. 
All right. Yeah, those are good ones. For me, uh, the one that always comes to mind for me is like Nine Inch Nails, the Downward Spiral album, the bass guitar, okay. especially on like Closer. It's just so oh, yeah, yeah. rich. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's so good. And then um, my more obscure one is the, the hardcore band Cavity. Um, their bass always sounded immaculate. And they were fun because they would have slow songs and they would have fast songs. But the bass guitar in that was just incredible. So anyways, that leads to my final question. Where, last week in Rapid Fire, you challenged me to, is it a heavy metal band or not? So I'm going to up the stakes a little bit. This week it is, was this a mid-90s hardcore band <laughs> or not? So this is my wheelhouse. This is Got it. Yeah. I'm okay, so here you go. First one, Encyclopedia of American Traitors. Was that a band or not? That sounds like a band. That was a band. That's they were fantastic. Band. They had a split seven inch with Orchid. Uh, I've heard of them. Yeah, there you go. Next one. Did Piggy Story do something for Orchid too? Um, maybe. Maybe. It's a good question. I, I, I know a band that I've heard before did Orchid. I, the Fig just yeah. at first when I thought, but that doesn't sound like the same music, so probably. No. Yeah, you never know. Uh, next one. Born Dead Icons. Hardcore band or not? That is. You are correct. Yes, they were from Quebec, one of my favorite bands of all time. They're That's amazing. Uh, next one. Sword of Damocles. Real hardcore band or not? Not. Well done. Not a real hardcore band, to my knowledge. I mean, they, there might have been somebody in the Tacoma scene, but uh, no, not that. But it is uh, Ken Campbell's uh, favorite uh, phrase, or one of them. Yes. So there you go. Yeah, he's, I think it was him who sent, some, sent a photo of, with that phrase to me, and I'm like, what does this mean? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yes, says all the time. Next one, Shy Halud, hardcore band or not? That sounds too random, so I'd say yes. Yes, it is a hardcore band. Yes, it is a hardcore band. Sorry. You are correct. Okay. Yeah, Shy Lude, real okay. hardcore band. And it was funny because I saw the movie Dune a couple of weeks ago, and Shy Halud is a reference in Dune. And I was like, oh, that's where they got the name okay. from. Ah. Uh, final one, Yafet Koto. Hardcore band, not hardcore band. Oh, this didn't get a perfect record. Um, it's true. A lot on the line here. No, it's not. Yafet Kota Band was a hardcore Okay, I band. figured it's too yes. random, and I just yes. I figured you just came up with something very random. Yafet Kota, okay. of course, uh, the actor who was in uh, The Omega Man with Charlton Heston and uh, Homicide Life on the Street, the TV show. Uh, but there was also a hardcore band that just called themselves Yafet Kota in honor of him. So there you go. You did very well on that. Four out of five, still an A. Uh, that is the rapid fire. Thank you for playing. I went to two concerts last week, and one of the bands I saw, this is completely unrelated, but they're called Visions of Atlantis, and all their songs are based off of Atlantis. That's awesome. Uh, but they were all pirate themed. Like, they were like this. Pirate thing. and Atlantis. Yes, yeah, so like the, the singer That's had a hat on a hat. Yeah, the singer had a hat, and he was passed along to people. But like, they, they were probably of the four bands I saw that night. Dragon Force was the main band, which mm. was awesome. Uh, they were probably the, the third best band, but they were just like. They, they were there to perform. Maybe their, sure. their music wasn't the greatest, but it's like they're, I feel like they were all doing like stage acting at some point, so. I had a roommate one time who was from Chicago and he was telling me that at one point there was a pirate themed band there. I think they were called like Hook or Hooked or something and they would bring like a plank <laughs> for stage divers to jump off. And then eventually a rival band formed of Vikings 
and they would like storm the stage <laughs> when the pirates played. So I choose to believe that was true. Yes. Okay. The the uh, at this concert uh, at the Opera House, they had Dragon Force had this giant dragon, um, but it was covered until the um, their performance. So these bands would go on and they'd have like their backdrop, and instead of like having like a, a scrim or something, it was like just a full screen. Yeah. But the screen was terrible, it'd, like flicker. But you couldn't read what any of the band names were. Like you had to have known what right. the band was before because you couldn't read what they said because there's yeah. a giant dragon in the way. Or or these two <laughs> arcade machines they had also uh, nice. for them, uh, where they did like a Sega Genesis commercial as an interlude in the Dragon Force show. Pretty cool. Um, but um, they the, in between the sets they would have these commercials for like a dumpling house. But it's like they were so, it looked like something that would have came off of like a banner ad of a website in like 1998. It was so bad. And it's like, if anything, no one could read the address, so it didn't matter. Um, but if anything, it made me just not want to go. But they also live streamed the concert where they had six camera angles, including uh, one of the, the uh, Herman Lee, the guitarist, had a camera on his shoulder. And you could see him do the solos, but also wow. showing the crowd. It was really cool. Interesting. It's becoming a thing. Bands are streaming their concerts now. So, anyways, that's enough about music. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're here to talk about hockey, but we're done talking about hockey. Uh, thank you very much for listening and watching. Uh, however, you consume this podcast, and we'll see you again soon.